0: where the legends play, Willie 1550 and 98.7. Hello there, I'm Kenny Graves, and on the phone with me right now, one of my favorites. She is a singer who has released 14 albums with hit songs in six different decades. A prolific songwriter, she has seven BMI Million Airplay Awards and a two million Airplay Award. She has had two Grammy nominations and was inducted into the International Rockabilly Hall of Fame in 2017. She is also a successful producer, publisher, actress, and author. The amazing Deborah Allen. Miss Deborah, how are you, sweet lady?
1: Wow, Kenny, thank you so much for that great introduction. I'm that you just made me blush. But I think I'm just going to have to take you with me on the road. I'll but be. Everything's your... going good.
0: I'll I'll be your hype man. You just take me and I'll introduce you anywhere you go.
1: Hey, I'm telling (laughs) you that. If ever there was a great hype man, that was the best intro. I've had it I don't know when, and thank you. You remember things about me that that I thought, wow, I forgot about that. But thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you so much.
0: The pleasure's mine. It's so good to have you back on. I want to start with a couple of things before we dive into your career and some very cool facts about you and that new album, But first things first, you recently joined Governor Mike Huckabee on a trip to the Holy Land. So, how was that trip?
1: Kenny, it was amazing. I'm Mm. telling you, that was a wonderful, incredible trip. You know, I mean, you know, I have a very strong faith and, you know, I believe in Jesus and I, you know, love everything uh, that I read in the Bible. But when you actually go to Jerusalem and the holy sites there and, uh, you know, we were in Tiberias on the Caspian Sea, not Caspian Sea, but the uh, Sea of Gibraltar and, um, I mean, excuse me, Sea of Galilee. God, I don't know how I could have forgotten that. But the Sea of Galilee, yeah, it just brought it all to life. I mean, many of the places that we were, the very first place that we went was... um, uh, well, a place where Schindler, Schindler um, was buried in. It was a huge uh, cemetery. It's a, actually a Catholic cemetery, but a lot of Jewish people are buried there. And he saved a lot of Jewish people. But then later on that day, we went to the Southern Steps. It was actually near the end of the day when we finally made it to the Southern Steps, which is just on the other side of where the. Um, praying the western wall is Mm -hmm. and so we got uh, I sang there and as I was singing there the people in our group were sitting on the steps that lead up to the uh the temple but those steps those were the very steps that Jesus would walk up to to go in and out of the temple
0: wow and
1: mm -hmm, and I sang how great thou art there and I don't know it was just and so I got to sing it for the holy sites and uh, the, last, the last place I sang was on the Sea of Galilee, not the Sea of Gibraltar, the uh. Sea of Galilee. And um, it was amazing because we were on this great big, huge boat with 250 of the guests that came. And that's a song that was on actually my Hear Me Now album. And it was just such a, a deep, wonderful feeling to know that there we were on the Sea of Galilee, right where Jesus walked on water. And that you know, and to be able to sing there for the guests that I'd gotten to know throughout the week, it was just a great way to end the week and by, and also the fact that Governor Huckabee is on the trip, and every single site that we would go to we we all had there were several bus loads of us, and each bus had its own tour guide, and I loved our tour guide, but also Governor Huckabee has gone over there so often. And he is also a pastor, you know, so he he just has so much insight about what's going on over there and, and what really took place in each one of the places that we would go to, to hear him speak. You know how he is. He's just such a real person. It's not, like, way over your head when he's talking about the Bible or the different uh, biblical places. It just all became even more real and I don't know, I may, I may get to go back. But, you know, if I never go back, it's something I will never forget and I'll cherish for all my life.
0: And thank you for posting all the pictures and the stories as you were there throughout your trip. That really really was nice to read and see that. So, And by the way, Governor Huckabee, great man, pretty good bass player, too. I got to add that in there.
1: He is. We have so much fun when I do his show. I know everybody enjoys having him play on their songs. You know, uh, he just loves music, and I think that's what's kept him young, and it keeps us, you know, keeps keeps us going. You know, is playing music and to be able to share something like that. And we got to play some music uh, on the trip too. On the very last night, we got up, and just had a fun night. Each night there would be someone uh performing and i performed on the last night and every all of the entertainers that were there you know he had somebody carries each time and uh we all got up and had fun and of course governor huckabee was right there playing with us
0: excellent another thing i want to touch on deborah uh, we should send out some congratulations to your friends, the Chapel Heart Band, who recently earned the Golden Buzzer on America's Got Talent, and I saw you even appeared in their music video for the song Jesus and Alcohol.
1: Yes! Oh my gosh! That was so much fun that day. That's the day that I met uh, Chapel Heart, and as soon as I walked in, they screamed and I screamed, you know, we are like, ah! so nice to meet you we started off kind of fluttering around and also billy gibbons was there on Uh that video too so that's the day that we hit it off and we said we were going to get together and write a song and we we did get together and write a song actually we wrote a song on a day it was so snowy here and icy i was going to go meet them somewhere actually and i called them i said i am so sad they said why and i said the snow is so deep, I can't even get my car out of my garage. They said that's okay. We'll come to you. We got an SUV, and we're already out on the road. <laughs> I said, "Okay, come on over." So they came over, and we just had so much fun. We wrote us a song, and uh, the second time we were going to write us a song, actually, unfortunately, I had to let them know that i had gotten COVID, but I got over it, and I'm fine. And but it prevented us from getting together that time, but. When I saw that they were going to be on America's Got Talent, I was like, oh, boy, I can't wait to watch. And they just came out with a burst of energy in that great song Mm -hmm. uh, that they sang that I love. You can have him, him Jolene. You can have him, Jolene, or you can keep him, Jolene. You can keep him. You can keep him, Jolene. Anyway, what a cute song. I I love that song, and the judges did, too. They Mm -hmm. just, and so did the audience. I mean, they... They won the house at America's Got Talent, and I was so excited for them.
0: I did want to touch on that because I know you're friends, and that's such a cool thing to get the unanimous golden buzzer. That's a rare rare occurrence. So, okay, yeah, I'm not,
1: actually, I don't even think. I mean, maybe they've done it before, but I haven't seen it. But I'm sure maybe they have. But it is very rare, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. Now let's uh, switch gears and get into your career because so many. Very neat aspects to it. First off, uh, we'll say while performing at Opryland, you were chosen to be a featured soloist and dancer for a tour of Russia. How was that experience?
1: That was amazing. That was uh, uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford was still with us, mm-hmm. and he was the you know le- you know the big star on the t- trip, and uh, it was a really neat show. It was. Actually, a lot of musical numbers, sort of a production show that would um, depict a life on the prairie and, you know, the way country music evolved and stuff. And then at the end of the show, everybody got to do a a solo. And I kind of I got a featured solo at the very last of the show. So that was a real special time. It was so neat to be. I'd never been in an audience in a, you know, in the presence of an audience where, you know, we clap, 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 clap all different times, but they they do that clap, 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 <laughs> and it gets so loud it's like it, you feel like the whole building's going to fall in. But though they loved it, they loved our music, they loved the, you know learning about the history of our music, and uh, you know being with Tennessee Ernie Ford is also a treasured memory. He was just so down to earth and so sweet to everybody and you know fun but yet really classy too you know Mm -hmm. he had he knew how to have fun and be a very classy person and but russia was amazing you know and really uh being in israel made me think a lot about russia when i was there especially with in light of everything that's going on over in that part of the world now too you know with ukraine and and all of that, we weren't that far We were a very short, we could have gone there In a very short plane ride I, It's it's just uh, A very delicate area Part of the world, but You know, I'll tell you something, Kenny One of the very first things The first place that we stayed when we went to Europa, I mean, went to Russia With Tennessee Ernie Ford was We stayed in a place called Yerevan, And we went to our hotel And it was A very nice hotel, but Back then, that was still during when it was really, you know. Cold war. Uh, yeah, it was. So every, every floor that you would go to, they had what they called a floor marm, like a little, little lady sitting at a desk. And you would have to go up to that floor. They would hand you your key. You'd go to your room. And if you wanted to go out, you had to hand her your key and then go out. So they really kept up with what everybody was doing, and then when I went in my room, I went out on my balcony and I looked across the street, and there was this um, there was this apartment building. It was about a six story apartment building, but it had balconies also. And this lady was out there, and she had her laundry and she had her goat out of the <laughs> out of the thing. And then, but what was really stunning about that whole moment was behind that apartment building across the street, not in the in the not too far distance, rising up behind it was guess what? What? Mount Mount Ararat. That is where Noah's Ark landed. Mhm. So I was like, oh my gosh. That's that, that is the neat thing, you know, about traveling over in that area because it, there's so much history there, and a lot of it that we've read about, you know. And to see it with your own eyes, you go, that's it. I mean, it's not just a story. It's a real place. It really happened. And I'm I'm witnessing the exact spot that it happened. So just, it's a very enriching, you know, to get to go to places like that. And it also makes you appreciate our country, too. So when you get home, you know, when you travel a lot. When you land back on uh, your home country soil, it's like, ah,
0: it's (laughs) so good to be home. Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. I love this story too. Deborah, you were discovered uh, in part by the late legend Roy Orbison. Could you tell us that story?
1: Yes, that was a very wonderful period of time. I had just moved to Nashville and I. You know, it was just kind of getting around, and I wanted to get a job and make me some money, so I got a job at the IHOP. Well, uh, then I was no longer working there. I would kind of moved on from working there, but I still loved all the people that worked there. I knew the lady. She's a real character, a redhead, Lou, that, you know, greeted people, and then there was a guy named Louis back in the kitchen, so I knew everybody there, so I could go there by myself and not feel like... The Lonely Girl mm-hmm. So I was sitting there eating breakfast one morning And and also it was a popular place For all kinds of people in the music industry Would, would eat there Because it was right at the top of Music Row And um, I was sitting there Eating my breakfast And across the room Kind of at an angle um, Over there in their booth There was this guy with jet black hair And a guy with kind of salt and pepper hair And I was thinking I bet those people are in the music business. (laughs) I'm just going to go over there and introduce myself to them. So I go over, get my courage up. I walk over there, took kind of the end of their booth. And on the left was the black headed guy, and on the right was the uh, salt and pepper guy. And I'm standing, they look up at me, and I go, Excuse me, but uh, are y'all in the insurance business? (laughs) <laughs> and they look at me so funny They go, no darling, we're in the music business I slide in that booth and I go, that's what I was thinking Listen, I'm a singer and I'm trying to get started And and they were so sweet to me I, I'm surprised they didn't kick me out And say, wait a minute, our waffles are our, our pancakes are getting cold you know. But they didn't They sat there and talked to me And encouraged me And were so sweet to me And I just happened to be sitting there With Roy Orbison and uh, his co-writer a lot uh, joe melson who he wrote pretty woman with and i really thought i would never see them again i thought it was just a wonderful moment but shortly after that maybe about two weeks after that i went down to uh to after american federation of television and radio artists just like a union that you join if you're an artist and so i went down there and i said Hey, I said, I came down here to tell you I got my phone installed, and I have a phone number. Now, they go, we are so glad to see you. We are, we've been thinking about you. Somebody's looking for you. And I said, who? And they said, uh, well, Joe Nelson called from Roy Orbison's office, and he wants you to come in. They've got a couple of tracks that they want you to sing on. I went, really? They said, yes. Yeah. So I called them up, and that was my first opportunity to sing in a studio. Uh, they were giving me the experience. It was, and I sang on two tracks. It wasn't one of his big hit records. What it was is you remember the KTL packages where yes, yes, he, yes, yes, kind of like a discount record package. That's what they were doing. They were putting together a uh, a, a discount record package, and so I got to sing on two tracks. And I got paid $87.50, which was more than I made at the at the IHOP.
0: <laughs> and that's a good first time in a studio backing up a true legend in Roy Orbison. Not bad.
1: Not bad at all. And I'm so happy to have that story in my life and just to get to know them as real people. Uh, later on, I got to know a guy named Don Gant who Don Gant was a great singer and song publisher, but he also sang background on the song Come Monday for Jimmy Buffett. Mm-hmm. I mean, any, anybody who knows Don Gant, uh, who really got to know him, they he was very beloved. He was a very character too, very, quite a character. And um, if you ever wrote a new song, you'd always want to take it to Don because he knew how to really appreciate a great song or, you know have a comment on it constructive comment but he loved songs but he also loved Roy Orbison and they were good friends and so I got to hear some good Roy Orbison songs throughout the years through Don.
0: Very nice. Well another interesting factoid about you you were invited to sing on five unfinished duet tracks with the late legend Jim Reeves with a groundbreaking project featuring an overdub process that, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, had not been done before. Correct?
1: That is true. Um, yeah, I was. I had once I got to Nashville, I was hanging out up a lot up at Tree Publishing and with people like Bobby Braddock and Sonny Throckmorton and Red Lane and and Ray Van Hoy and Don Cook. You know, just some great songwriters, and uh, occasionally they'd throw a number one party for a friend so i was out at this guy's name his name was dan wilson he used to be a song blogger there he had a bunch of writers out and they were celebrating a number one song for one of their writers and uh, usually at a party like that at the end of the night someone's going to pull out a guitar and start passing it around so i sang a couple of songs i didn't think a thing about it but bud logan uh was there. He he used to be uh, the bass player with Jim Reeves in his band, and he went on to produce some great artists like J- uh, John Conley, and uh, his engineer called me up the next day. He said, Hey, I'm Les Ladd uh, over at Woodland Studios. I said, Hello. He said, Yeah, Bud Logan heard you sing last night at the party you were at. He thinks your voice would be perfect to overdub with this new project that we're doing on Jim Reeves uh, Would you be interested in it And I went well yeah I mean are you talking about Jim Reeves
0: the Jim su- Reeves.
1: Yeah put your sweet lips A little closer to the phone He goes yeah I said but Isn't he no longer with us He said yeah But we've got this brand new technology It's never been used anywhere And we're going to uh, use it on a project With you and Jim Reeves And we're going to take your voice and Overdub it to his recordings, so that we can put a duet out on Jim with you. And I said, "Oh, I would love to." And so, yeah, we did five songs, and it was on RCA Records. And so Joe Galante, who's a master um, promoter, well, I wasn't very—I wasn't known at all at radio, really, at that time. And so he goes, "We're going to bill you as the mystery girl and run a contest <laughs> at radio." She goes, and it'll be great because no one will be able to figure it out at this point in your career because no one's heard you. And I went, okay. So, yeah, it was, a, man, it was so special. It was, a, we did five songs. The first song, I was writing one day with Freda Parton at my house, uh, Dolly's younger sister. Mm-hmm. And I guess the radio was on lightly in the background. We were sitting in the living room and the radio was on in the kitchen. And all of a sudden I go, hey, wait a minute. I hear me on the radio. Come in here. Let's go in here. I've got to catch this. And it was, it was Jim Reeves and me singing, Don't Let Me Cross Over, Love Cheating Line. And she goes, That sounds just like Dolly. I said, I know. I said, It really wasn't in the right key for me. It was a little bit high. I said, But I wanted to do that project so bad. I said, I don't care. If she, if I have to have an operation, I'm going to sing this. And, you know, it wasn't really that high for me, but it was in my upper register. And, and so that was kind of a fun little story, but my favorite story about that. Of course, we had two other singles that went top five. Mm-hmm. One was, uh, let's see, one one, that, gosh, I can't think of them because I'm thinking of this other song right now. I wanna, I'm anxious to tell you my favorite experience. In the studio, I was at Woodland Studio, in the big studio. They had a microphone set up in this big room. But all that was there was the light over the lyrics. There was no other light on in the studio. And then I could see Mary Reeves inside the studio with uh, Bud and Les, the engineer. And I was out there, and as I was singing this song, it's a great song. It was called When Two Worlds Collide. Oh, yeah. And when my voice and Jim Reeves' voice came together and we sang... That's what happens when two worlds collide. I promise you, I felt his spirit in that room. I got chills and I thought, Oh my gosh, two worlds really are colliding because here I am on earth and he's in this room with me in spirit. He's a part of you know, God's universe and here we are singing. It was just one of those moments that it's inexplicable, really. It was just an experience, you know, and it was a very real experience. So that song, even though it was never a single, kind of still remains the most special one to me.
0: Well, I just listened to yeah. it before you called. I was just like, I, I really want to hear this. I've heard him, I think, when I was young, but I really wanted to hear it, and that's the one I listened to. Fabulous, just fabulous. Thank you. Yes, Thank ma'am. You. All right, and then things. yeah, we
1: did. We did. Take me in your arms and hold me was one of them, but there was another one that was even bigger, the biggest one. I'll I'll think of it later when when I'm not thinking of it, and I'll tell you.
0: (laughs) Well, things picked up for you. Your 1984 album for RCA, Let Me Be the First, was the very first totally digital album to ever be recorded and released out of Nashville. And then, of course, other producers and labels started doing the same thing, correct? That is true.
1: Uh, We were wanting to
0: do something
1: A little different We wanted to try out Again The new technology Which You know um, Analog Had been The way Everybody had been Recording for years And it sounds great And still some people Are analog people Because there's Something about it That sounds great too You know But we wanted to Just see what it was like To do the digital thing And we had a couple Of producers Around town That were going Don't do it Don't do it You know no, but we were like, "No, we're gonna do it." So what we did when we recorded, we ran it and we recorded it in analog and in digital, and then, at the end of the first day, um we compared and we went, "No, this sounds great. We're just gonna not even we're just gonna go with the digital so we did that whole project at we recorded it at the castle in Franklin, Tennessee. And the uh, little history about that place is, you know what that place used to be? It was a place where Al Capone would bring his buddies. It was sort of like their little gambling getaway.
0: Mm.
1: It really was. But then some wonderful people bought it and turned it into a studio. So um, it's got a lot of history there. But, yeah, and so what was wild were once the word got out, Chuck Ainley was our engineer, and he's worked a lot with Jimmy Bowen and a bunch of people, too. But he was also kind of very, like, getting started at that time, too. But word got out, and the next thing you know, Jimmy Bowen, who was a big producer and music executive, and, I mean, he has a great history in music, and he heard how good that we were doing with it and how happy we were. He block booked it, like... After our sessions were finished being booked, uh, he came, he blocked, booked it from there out for a year for all of his artists on his label, Universal. So what happened that was really, really weird was we started running out of time. You know how it is when you're in the studio. It always takes you longer than you think it's going to. So we were like, man, we can't even have an extra day. Jimmy Bowen's got this thing all booked up behind us, you know. And so I remember there was a song on that album called It Makes Me Cry. And uh, we would work into the night, into the morning, you know. Well, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning because we were trying to get this thing finished because we knew we wouldn't get to get back in because Jimmy Bowen had it all booked up. So I remember one time I was standing out in the, um, in the you know, big room, and, uh, and it was about getting to be about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I was singing, "It makes me cry when I think about you." You know, and I, I was, I was singing it. All of a sudden, I hear this sound out the window. Here, and I open the curtain. I go, "Oh no!" They go, "Think what?" And I said, "Tree surgeons." <laughs> and they go, "Oh no!" And I said, "Okay." And I'm standing there with a the, i am send there with a curtain held back and I go, Okay, okay, he's gonna stop and I go, Uh it makes me cry. I'd start singing it again and sing it until he started back up. I mean, I sang that song in between takes of the tree surgeon.
0: <laughs> That's thinking so on your we, feet.
1: We, <laughs> yeah, we managed to get that thing done, and it truly was. I mean, it's another historic moment and uh, that I'm proud to be a part of, and it worked out great that we had written this song with Kiggs Brooks called Let Me Be the First because it was the perfect album title for that because it was the very first totally digital records ever to be recorded and released from Nashville.
0: But certainly not the last, just the first in a very long, endless line. That's good. Yeah,
1: that's funny that you use that word because the punchline on that title is let me be the first to make it last. But you're right,
0: yeah. Uh, And this was out of left field. You wound up recording a song called Telepathy, which was written especially for you by Prince, also known as Joey Coco there, and the late pop legend produced that record, correct?
1: Very true. That is another thing that was really amazing. Um, I, you know, when I, when I had, you know, when I first started, I was on Capitol, and I had the duets with Jim Reeves, and then, um, no, no. That was on RCA. Yeah, that was a singles deal on RCA. And I loved the people at RCA, but Capitol wanted to put out an entire album on me, not just a singles deal. And because I was really, I don't know, really dedicating myself to my songwriting, I wanted to have a full-length album to, you know, as my first step out as a solo out artist. So that's, that's what I did. And... um You know, Baby I Lied was such a big pop record. So they switched me officially to the pop roster. Hmm. But, no, wait a minute. Trying to think. Kenny, I'm so sorry. I need to get my own bio out and read it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding you. But, anyway, one of them. I think it was RCA. No, it was RCA. It was RCA because it was Paul Atkinson, who used to be the lead guitar player in the Zombies. They switched me over there. Yes, that's right. They traded me for Juice Newton. Juice Newton then went to the country label and I went to the pop roster. Well, it kinda happened without my knowledge. I was a little I felt sort of like, Well, now I know what it's like to be a baseball player. I feel like I got traded just like a baseball card. But I thought, well, speaking of cards, I'm just gonna deal with the cards that were dealt me and since They've made me officially, put me officially on the pop roster I guess I'll give it my best shot So I had gone out to um, Sunset Sound And was recording this album And Greg Matheson was producing it And then suddenly they had an executive changeover again And so Paul Atkinson was no longer there And and John Ford, who were the ones who switched me You know, uh, Joe got uh, Juice Newton And they got me but then they got changed, you know, their career path changed So I was sort of out there with no hero So the new people came in and they were listening to my songs Well, in the meantime, while I was at that studio, Sunset Sound is like a compound And it's built around a basketball court So I guess so musicians can kind of go out and get some excess energy off while, you know, they're in the studio and You know, there's always some dead time, too, when you're in there. Maybe the engineer's working on something. So one night, I had gone to the bathroom, and as I was coming out, I saw this basketball rolling by. I just figured it was one of my friends that was with me. And I ran over and picked it up, and I turned around, and it was print.
0: Wow. And
1: I I said, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I thought this was going to be one of my friends. Here you go. And I handed him the ball, and I went back in my studio. And I didn't think anything about it, but I met, ne- and he was, I knew that he was recording in one of the studios there, but I didn't go hang around a lot because I just didn't want to intrude, you know, and I, I knew he was probably into what he was doing. It's just like I was into what I was doing. Well, the night that those new executives came out to check out my album to see if I was going to be, you know, worthy of remaining on the label and it's always kind of nerve-wracking when they start judging you sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, it's like when one one executive group go, comes in and, you know, all of that shifting around. You never know how it's going to affect you. Well, so they were in there listening to my new record. So I thought, Ooh, I think I'll go get some coffee. So I go out and go to the little kitchen area to get a cup of coffee, and I walk back, and there's Prince out there shooting hoops in his, you know, silk bell bottoms and silk matching silk platforms and matching silk shirt. And so I'm just kind of standing there. And I was kind of dressed up that night because all those executives were there. I, I remember I had on like a little black mini skirt and some black boots and a yellow suede jacket that had black and silver pink little splatters over it. It looked kind of cool. And I had my hair up and some fun earrings on, you know. I was just trying to my best to let them see that I was worth their, you know, their effort. It that's just part of being an artist, you know. You just want to try to keep living out your dream. So, but anyway, I was standing there watching Prince, and he was shooting hoops, and I was holding my coffee, and he just so I'm, I'm going, well, that's a good one. Oh. Whoa, that was a good one. <laughs> he dribbled the ball back there beside me. And I look over at him and I say, I like your outfit. And he says, likewise. <laughs> Those are the only two words he said to me. And so I said, okay. So then I sort of disappeared and went back into my studio. And when I went back in there, these two guys. I don't know their name. I never got as close to them as some of the other people I worked with at the label. I, I really don't remember their names. But uh, they said, well, we think we can run with this, and uh, we just need a couple more couple more songs. And I said, okay. So I go back to Nashville, and I'm sitting in my kitchen, and I said a prayer. I said, dear God, please, please help me. Please tell me what to do. And all of a sudden, it was like, "Well, you met Prince." You know, it just it came in my mind. I have heard the voice of God before, but this time I just heard it in my mind. But I've actually heard it before. I was awakened by it before, but at this moment, it was just like it came in my mind. Well, you met Prince. He is one of the geniuses of our time. Just write him a letter. So I sat there and I wrote him a letter, and I said, "Dear Prince, my name is Deborah Allen." We met briefly at the uh, on the basketball court at Sunset Sound. And they said, we've had an executive turnover. They've said that, that they can move forward with my album. I need to record a couple extra songs. And I was just thinking it would be merely wonderful if we could work together in some way, maybe write a song or, or work in the studio together. Here is a copy of my new uh, record, No, I said, here's a cassette. So that tells you what it was. (laughs) Here's a cassette of my new album. So you can get an idea of where I am musically. So I I sent it out to Sunset Sound in hopes that he was still out there. And he was. So his engineer called me up. His name was Coke Johnson. He called me up. He said, hey. And I said, hey. And he goes, well, he goes, we got uh, your your letter and your cassette. Prince listened to it. And he's written you a song. Where should we send it? I went, oh, my gosh, that is wonderful. I said, okay. I said, come on now, tell the truth. I said, is this a song that he already had? Or did he really write it for me? And he goes, oh, no, he wrote it for you. He goes, I was in the studio while he was writing it. I went, I'm so excited. Please send it. And when he first sent it, the people at the labor, they were like, I told him about the, rec- the song, and they said, "I don't know. I don't know if we can do that. He's probably going to charge a fortune." I said, "Well, you know," I said, "He just made sixty million dollars with with Purple Rain. Mm. I don't think he's doing it for the money." So uh, he, you know, he and I spoke and stuff, and he said, "No, no, I'm just I want to do this." So it wasn't going to be much at all, and so I think, you know for that kind of, you know, I mean, records are made for a lot of different prices. It depends on if you have a great big group or if you're in a big studio or if you've got a home studio, but he did it. I think that whole, that record was like $10,000, which for to be produced and written by Prince, I thought was, and the record label, well, they were like, of course you can do it. Well, of course, we want you to do it. So then after it was over, He called me, Prince called me I mean, we have some more stories together Because I did go out to LA And he invited me to Sheila E's birthday party That's a whole experience We could do a whole show on this (laughs) whole experience But anyway, he called me up He goes, who's doing Who's doing the, uh, the dance record? I said, well I think they think this is The dance record because it's a long song He goes No, 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 can I do the dance mix? I said I'm sure they would
0: love that. I know I would. And so he did a dance mix on it, too. Very nice. So, yeah, work with the Purple One himself. That's an awesome story. Love that. Now, you're never ceasing from making headway. You produced your 1993 album, Delta Dreamland, and you also shot the music video for Rock Me in the Cradle of Love on your 16mm camera and wound up winning a Video of the Year award. How was that?
1: That was pretty amazing. Um, well, you know, I did kind of, since I since I got transferred, you know, to the California office at RCA, and I was exposed to a whole lot of different styles of music. And I've always, you know, I was born and raised in Memphis, so I was always exposed to a lot of, of different styles of music. So I did explore a lot of things uh, on my journey, but, you know, I, I was like... <laughs> I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I want to do <laughs> a record that reflects the, you know, what I've learned here in Nashville. So I got excited about uh, blending my Memphis roots with country music. Cause I have grown up around, you know, I've got, I arrived in Nashville when I was 18. I have grown up around some of the most iconic songwriters on the planet and just had the privilege to be around them you know and just you absorb so much when you're around people like that it was it was like getting a degree in songwriting without even realizing it just enjoying every moment of it so that's when i said you know what i wanted i wanted to start driving my ship again i wanted weave in my roots of Memphis and everything I've learned about songwriting And so that's how the Delta Dreamland uh, Record came about And, you know, it was so funny uh, Being persistent has been One of the things that kept me going I mean, after we recorded Rock Me I took it around to some different people And and, and some different songs from that album too, I take it around to different labels And, uh, you know People go, yeah, that's nice, you know, whatever You know, nothing really happened with it And then I remember one time I was uh, over there making a phone call And I had I was writing a song with Rafe that day And he goes, who are you calling? I said, I'm going to call And I forgot what record label it was But it was some record label And, and I want to play this new thing And he goes, "They they've already passed on you They passed on you last month No, they said, they've already passed on you And I said, yeah, but that was last month. I'm going to take them this new stuff. So I just persistently kept saying, you know, because uh, it was time for me to find a new label. And I was just persistent about it. And I wound up uh, getting back together with James Stroud, who is a great drummer and incredible musician. And he signed me to Giant Records. And that's where Delta Dreamland came out. But that was the whole, to me, the whole background on that was just my desire to take what I had been learning on my musical journey, but especially to blend in my Memphis roots with Nashville, which is my home. And Nashville, you know, I love Memphis. It's where I grew up. And I'll, I'll never stop loving Memphis. It's a huge part of me, but Nashville is. Has a large part of my heart, too I mean, I grew, I guess Now, you know And for a long time now I, I've lived longer in Nashville than I did in Memphis So it's just it's, It just all came together That was the magical time And and I love the song Delta Dreamland That's the title track It was, um, it was a song written about my mother And daddy About how they met and fell in love in Blah, Arkansas and it's sort of a song about the circle of life. And I remember recording it that night. And I just happened to walk out on this balcony outside the studio. And I heard all these crickets. And I went, oh, my God, listen to these crickets. Quick, get the microphone out of here. we got to get these crickets. This is, the perfect, this is the perfect intro for Delta Dreamland. But, um, okay, and now I just remembered your original question, which was about the video. <laughs> the, vi- the video, uh, well, I'm a list maker. And I remember, I'd sometimes have two pages of things, list of things that I wanted to accomplish. And I would get up every day and try to find something to mark off of my list. And this one thing, I was going down my list and it said, purchase Aeroflex 16 millimeter film camera. And I, I, I looked at that for a mem- moment and I stood up and just kind of stomped my foot on my kitchen floor and I go, Am I just saying that I want one of those, or am I really going to get one of those? and I said, I am really going to get one of those so I started calling around and then um just kind of perusing through the newspaper and just making phone calls and I wound up a friend pointed me in the direction of a uh, an advertising agency uh, so I called them and they said, yeah we've got uh we've got a sixteen millimeter airflex film camera we've got all the things that go with it, you know, uh, you know, some extra additional things, and I said, well, I want it. I said, how much is it? And they go, it's $30,000. I oh. went, what? You're kidding me. They go, well, we've got all these extra lenses, and we've got this, and we've got that, and I went, well, well, okay, I'm getting it. I'm going to figure out a way to get it. I want it. And they said, okay, so I called up this friend of mine, his name's Lou Chinatry, Lou was a video director who did uh, some he did stuff for dealer department he would do commercials and things so I called up Lou and I said hey Lou what do you shoot your commercials in uh, when you shoot for your clients he said well I use videotape I said would you be interested in shooting those videos in film he said oh, that's too expensive I said well I said I ha- I'm getting ready to purchase a brand new camera and I said what if I, if I purchase Purchase this camera and you broker it out for me and I pay you 10% every time you rent it out you can give a really good deal to your client so it's not going to be too expensive for them you can get the much much better quality and then you know I can you can help me pay you can also make money on it and I can make money and help pay for that thing because I really have no business buying it right now but if I could find a way for it to pay for itself I would get it he goes Hey, I like that. That's a good idea. And I said, okay, let's do it. So I got it and he did. It. He, re- he started renting it out to his clients. Everybody was happy because everybody was winning from this deal. And at the end of it, I told right before we shot the Rocky video, I called up Lou and I said, Lou, I'm taking my camera off the market. He goes, No, please don't do that. I'm getting ready to get married. He goes, This is going so good. I'm making money for you, I'm making money for me, I'm helping my clients. I said, Lou, you just bought and paid for a whole camera outfit for me. If you did it for me with making ten percent, you can do it for you and keep all the money. He goes, But it but but I said, "Lou." I got it. It's showing some wear and tear, and I want to use my camera now, and I want to be able to use it whenever I want to. And he goes, "Okay." So that's what we shot the video. Of. We shot it on that camera, and in the meantime, I had bought, um, I had also bought me a real. It's very archaic now because everybody edits on uh, their computers and stuff now. But back then, it was still kind of a hands on. You roll it forward like. <laughs> You know, looking for the perfect scene (laughs) And the perfect little section of film I had a stack of spiral notebooks With all kinds of notebooks Like, getting on the bus 0001.5 Da-da-da and Getting off the bus 0001.9 Da-da-da Just, you know, frame by frame Like, labeling what I was looking at And that's how I did the rough cut on it And then I took it into a great big studio And had fun transferring I mean, uh yeah, transferring the film to video And playing with textures and colors And it was just so much fun uh, So that's how that came about And it was it was called the Music City Summit Award Which I won the video of the year on And it was uh, just beautiful And another thing too When you jump in and get your feet wet doing things You know, that's just the best way to learn For instance, we were out there and I was looking for again. I saw I saw one of these little airplanes. I thought, it's it's called an ultralight. And so we go over and I ask this guy. I said, "Is this your ultralight?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "You you think we could take it and one of us could get up in the not me, but it was Rafe that was with me. I said, get up there in the uh, ultralight and get some overhead shots of me in that cotton field." He goes well i don't rent mine out but there's a guy down the road that has a two-seater he could fly it and someone could sit in the back and he said i think he rents it out for fifty dollars an hour and i said perfect so that's how we did it and you know what that ultralight was so bumpy it was so bumpy that the film was real bumpy so what we did was we slowed it down in real slow motion and it smoothed it out and made it usable Another funny story, and then I'm going to quit running on, but you brought it up. and My <laughs> mind just remembering it all. But one of my most fun things, well, first of all, my mother and daddy were there with me. And um, I remember I had that little hat box, and my mother and daddy were sitting in their truck. And as I was walking across that field in that little filmy dress, I was kind of carrying this hat box with me. And I hear my mother holler out. Swing it around, Deborah. And so I went, yeah. So I swung it around. You know, keep, <laughs> we that was kind of a fun moment. And then the other moment was when I was stepping out of the field. because I remember walking across that field, going some because those furrows are real deep. And I was like, someday I'm not going to have to carry my own camera to my own video shoot. But when I was stepping out of there. This guy drives up in his truck, and he goes, uh, you know, that, that's my field out there you're walking in. I went, I am so sorry. I didn't know who to ask. I hope it's okay. And he goes, oh, I'm not worried about my field. He goes, I was thinking about you on a hot day like today. Those water buckets systems like to crawl up in there and cool off. And I went, ooh. <laughs> and I, you know what? It had crossed my mind. I remember when I first stepped my toe into that field. I went, I wonder if there's any snakes in here. And I go, oh, well, show business. And I just kept going. <laughs> well,
0: at least you mentioned it once you were finished, not not as yeah. you were starting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we can't not talk about the new album. It's your first album of new material in over a decade. Tell me about The Art of Dreaming.
1: Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. It's the first full-length one I've had out in quite a while I've been putting records out. I've done, you know, I still have things that I've done here and there, but to have a full uh, album to put out like this, it's just been great. And um, actually I was putting out some little EPs on the internet called The Best You've Never Heard mm-hmm. from Deborah, from Deborah Allen. And then my good friend, Chuck Rhodes, who I worked on, worked with at uh, Giant Records, he called me up and he said, hey, w- I just noticed these EPs that you're putting out. He goes, I said, yeah. I said, getting a real good response from those. He goes, well, you know what? I'm partnered with Audium Records now. He goes, why don't you let us put put something out and, and help you out with that? I said, are you kidding me, Chuck? He goes, no. He goes, I, we would love to do that. And I said, okay, great. So um, that's what we did. You know, that was how the opportunity came to be, and it just feels so good to be working with a, a friend like Chuck that knows me as a person and knows me musically so well. He knows a lot of my catalog, and we had two singles out. The, the 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 album is called "The Art of Dreaming," and that is actually a song I've had with me for a while. And funny thing about it, just by having this album out. It was discovered by um, a music school in um, Florence, Alabama. It's actually a high school that has a... It's taught, Man, I'm telling you, it's like walking into a major network to go into that school. It's a great place for kids. Uh, I've never seen anything like it in a high school. And they have like a sister college that kind of links up with them, too. And they are... Uh, Having their 10th year anniversary And they fell in love with that song And they said This is going to be our new theme For the new decade And we want you to come and sing it At our Christmas show We want it to be the finale And they've got a a wonderful composer Named Robert from the college That is composing the um, arrangement on it And I'll be singing it with them And they go We've got t-shirts and coffee mugs And everything else made up for it I went, Wow so that's, that's just a really honor to get to do that with them and for them. And then in the meantime, um, I had two singles um, out with videos. One is called, the first single was Blue Collar Baby, mm-hmm. which I wrote, wrote that with Al Anderson. Who Do you know who Al Anderson is?
0: No, ma'am, but I love the song.
1: Thank you. Well, uh, Al Anderson used to be the lead guitar player of NRBQ and Rolling Stones. Listed him in the top 100 Best song, best guitar players of all time And he used to live in Connecticut But he moved to Nashville And started writing songs That's how we met And he at one point became Songwriter of the year for BMI But uh, Blue Collar Baby We had so much fun um, Writing that song And it, it does kind of bring out the, the rockabilly side of my roots too And I just thought the timing was perfect with what's going on in the world and everything. It's sort of like, you know, a tip of the hat to the blue collar workers and, you know, my family—they were upholsterers, automobile upholsterers. So I would say, you know, I grew up in a blue collar uh, family myself. You know, they were super talented and creative. They even, um, my parents even upholstered and designed the interior of Elvis's first bus. Wow So, you know, some people, they hear the word blue-collar and they go, yeah, well, they're not white-collar workers But, you know, blue-collar workers to me are some of the most skilled artistic workers out there And so it's kind of neat to be able to come out of the box with something up-tempo and fun, you know And it got a lot of attention And then the second single is a song, um, it was like putting a beautiful puzzle together it's a song that's composed of all these different iconic um, country song titles, you know. Mm-hmm. It and the song is called "Patsy Cline Crazy."
0: Love that and red! It, I love that red dress too.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, red's one of my favorite colors, and and it worked out so cool the way my girlfriend Shay Smith. She's she's a uh, real talented in the video department. Well, we shot. We shot that, uh, my performance part, that's just one take, uh, actually shot on my iPhone Pro 11 11 Pro. And uh, now I have the 13 because it's got more, mainly because it's got more storage and I do like the camera. But we shot a performance of me on that. And then she took that and all of those different titles on those old vintage 45s spin around with me in the center of it. I thought that was super creative how she did
0: that. What well, is great, and that album, and I love the Music Monday. So you've been adding uh, all kinds of the new tunes off the album, and letting fans catch up and uh, get interested in it. They can follow you where on social media.
1: Oh well, one the easiest way, I'm, of course, I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and you know LinkedIn, a bunch of different places. But the easiest way to get to all my sites is you can just go to Deborah. Allen.com. It's D E B O R A H Allen. That's A L L E N.com. Go to my website and you can uh, sign up for free as a front row friend and get my free newsletter. Whenever we have new updates, you'll arrive in your mailbox. We don't over inundate you with that. Just, you know, occasionally we do that. And then you can uh, subscribe to my YouTube. Uh, channel from there and you know just link to my Facebook and Twitter and Instagram from there too it's really easy it makes it it's kind of a one-stop shop for getting in touch with me
0: outstanding and you're pretty active on there as well I love following you because you always have neat content always but Ms. Good, Deborah thank you. it's so awesome to catch up with you again it's it's been a little while so I really enjoyed that conversation I can't thank you enough
1: Well, I can't thank you enough, Kenny I know I was pretty talkative today But you uh, touched on some subjects That all of a sudden I was just getting a flood of memories In fact, I got a flood of so many memories I was trying to get them all in the right order there for you for a minute But (laughs) um, I really, really enjoyed talking to you And on the Music Monday thing I was just doing uh, the music on the new album And right now, just for a short period of time I'm going to feature some of my main videos from the 90s Because... The 90s music is really hot right now, and it was such an important part of my life. But we are gearing up right now to do a brand-new album, not brand-new album, a brand-new video on a couple more songs off the album. So I can't wait for you all to see that, too.
0: Excellent. i got something to look forward to. But I thank you again for the amazing Deborah Allen. I'm Kenny Graves on Willie 1550 and 98.7.